Excellent. Right, here we go. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Amen. Do have a seat. Thanks, Joe. Okie doke, lovely to see you. Uh, I just had a thought during the worship, uh, and I don't think we mentioned it tonight, about, um, I just felt that, uh, that, uh, that someone wanted to give to the Worker Network Church. So if you do, you're able to do that out the back there. Uh, there are different ways of giving. Uh, but I just thought I'd mention that for a, someone who I think is keen to do that tonight. All right, we are in Romans 12. And uh, we've been making our way through Romans 12 really slowly so that we can have a really good look at just a few sentences at a time. And I want to start with a question. The question is this. What is normal Christianity? What is normal Christianity? Now, you could um, form an answer in terms of activities like uh, going to church gatherings or something like that or going to meetings. You could form an answer around attitude, say, being kind to one another, loving one another. You could uh, answer by ways of thinking about spirituality, developing rhythms of prayer and devotion. You could think that normal Christianity might be primarily about ethics, the way you live your life, and the principles and the wisdom by which you live, the, live your life. Or you might feel that the most important thing about normal Christianity is Community is being part of a diverse and inclusive community of people who are gathered around Jesus. And of course, all these things that I've just mentioned, and more besides that you're probably thinking about, um, these things are involved in normal Christianity. But something happens when you open the pages of the New Testament and you start reading from Matthew's Gospel onwards through to Revelation and you, op you open it and you look at it and you look at it with a fresh and open mind and you start to read and you start to read about a number of things angels and demons miracles and healings dreams and visions fervent prayer extravagant generosity life-altering teaching overwhelming spiritual experiences stunning conversions and also along the same, in the same way, on a, on a twin track, if you like, you see that part of normal Christianity is also intense suffering, constant conflict, fleeing persecution, imprisonment, riotings, beatings, violent death. And even the most low-key and peaceful description of what you might call normal Christianity in the, in the New Testament, on closer examination, seems possibly a bit different from our own. And you can read that in Acts chapter 2, where they talk about these things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the Christians doing normal Christianity. 
and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and finding favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. See, there's some amazing things in there, isn't there? Devoted to teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer. There's awe and wonder resting on every soul. There's people doing signs and wonders. That's miracles and healings. Then everybody holding all their possessions in common. When did we last do that? Selling their possessions so that other people wouldn't be in need. And people becoming Christians every day. Every day. So as I read the New Testament, I, I start to think to myself, well, normal Christianity is weirder, more extreme, more difficult, and powerful than I first imagined. And as you read the New Testament, it's an intoxicating read. You think, my goodness, this, is, is, this, is this also for me? And when I line up my life against the New Testament and what... My, what you read there might be normal Christianity, I could have two reactions. And one is a ten tendency to think, well, look, this is my normal life, and so my normal life is normal Christianity. That's what it is. Or I could think, I read the pages of the New Testament, and I really get that this is normal Christianity, as described through uh, the Gospels and the letters and so on. And I think, well, stuff it. I'm, I'm never going to get to that. I'm never going to be able to do that. G.K. Chesterton, the writer, who wrote a book called What's Wrong with the World, he said this, the Christian ideal, and I think as you read the New Testament, that is the Christian ideal, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so we come to this phrase of St. Paul's, and it's chapter 12, verse 11. And he says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is the new, what's it called? NIB, New International Version. Uh, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, since we're doing really short uh, passages as we make our way through Romans 12, I'll just give you a little bit of textual analysis here. St. Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, he wrote in Greek. And the phrase translated by uh, the, the NIV as keep your spiritual fervor, comes from uh, to pneumati zeontes, three words. So to meaning the, pneumati meaning spirit, and zeontes meaning uh, burning or boiling, if you like. And, um, uh, and because they didn't really do capital letters for S for spirit, um, people translate it in different ways. Sometimes they're talking about the human spirit, let your human spirit be burning or boiling, be fervent, or let the Holy Spirit set you on fire or cause you to come to the boil. And, uh, and different commentators are not quite sure which it is. And in one sense, it doesn't really matter because the end effect is the same as your heart is absolutely on fire uh, with, with the, the presence of God. But, and uh, one of my favorite commentators says, well, St. Paul knew what he was doing with the word pneumati. He said, 
uh, that he's talking about the human spirit, but he's also alluding to the Holy Spirit at the same time. So it's as if he's saying, let your spirit be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. In Acts, uh, in Acts of the Apostles, Apollos is particularly described with exactly these words, that he is uh, on fire with the Holy Spirit. It's a good description of him. And so my humble translation of these few Greek words is this. With unflagging enthusiasm, burning with the Holy Spirit, serve the Lord. With unflagging enthusiasm, burning with the Holy Spirit, serve the Lord. And I think St. Paul um, is giving us just a little insight, a little picture into normal Christianity. But as we think about it, we think, well, that's all very well, and that sounds strong and extreme, and would it be possible, frankly, to keep that up? Unflagging enthusiasm, burning with the Holy Spirit, serving the Lord, everyone, every day. Now, again, as you read the New Testament, you find that God almost always calls us to do things that are beyond our natural capabilities. And so we need to burn with the Holy Spirit, burn with the supernatural power of God in order to do the things that he's called us to do. So, for instance, loving your enemies, we need the power of the Spirit. When, in order to forgive other people who have hurt us deeply, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the love of God. We need to burn with his presence. When we, want, when we want to bring other people into relationship with God, we need supernatural power. In order to understand the Scriptures and to hear God's voice speaking to us as we read the Scriptures, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. In order to speak godly wisdom, the same. In order to hold lightly to our possessions. In order to heal the sick, resist evil, cast out demons. All the kinds of things that God calls us to do, which is just frankly way beyond us. We need help from heaven. We need our spirits set on fire, burning with the Lord. Now it's amazing really that God pretty much always works with us to get his good things done. He doesn't leave us out. He includes us in what he's doing. He can do with it without us, but he chooses not to. And that's an extraordinary thing. And so when we... It's always a partnership, isn't it, with God? So we speak or we preach, uh, but it's God who reveals the truth. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth. We serve the poor, but as we do that, he pours out his grace and mercy. When we heal the sick, he provides the power. It's always keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are always a partnership. And if you've been asking for gifts of the Spirit, like prophecy and tongues and leadership and mercy and all kinds of things... Uh, you have to know that it's a partnership. You are always, there's always something for you to do and there's always something that God does that's way beyond us and way beyond our actual natural capabilities. When you talk about God, the Holy Spirit provides the love and power to touch someone's heart when you're talking with them. So for some, this is quite a mind shift. And the Holy Spirit sets you on fire so that you can serve the Lord's supernatural purposes every day and every way. And 
God has set it up like this. It can't be done without the fire of the Spirit. However, if you'll embrace this kind of life, I'm afraid it's quite disruptive for you. So, St. Paul is echoing Jesus here when he's talking about uh, let the Holy Spirit's fire, set your own spirit on fire so you serve the Lord. Jesus said it to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. So the first thing that happens is you receive the Holy Spirit. The second thing that happens is that you're able to do what God has called you to do, be my witnesses. It's the same thing. And, but you will be my witnesses everywhere, says Jesus, is a highly disruptive promise. But if you embrace this, your life will gloriously never be the same again. So the key to this normal Christianity that Paul and Jesus and the rest of the New Testament is uh, describing is this, that there is a flow from being set on fire by the Spirit, being filled with his power, being, uh, in, uh, in other language, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, all those different things. And that leads us into service. That leads us into witnessing. That leads us into doing the things that God has called us to that we can't do by ourselves. We can't serve the Lord without this. And we can't function without the Holy Spirit. This is how the church started at Pentecost. And in its best times over the last 2,000 years, and in our best times over the last 19 years, this has been the case for us. That when we have been filled with the Spirit, then we are best placed to do the things God has called us to do. And it's absolutely vital for us as a community to have that posture before God. Jordan Seng, who's a, who's a pastor and a writer, he said this, given the historical role of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the value given to it by Jesus and the disciples, it's astonishing that so many churches no longer pursue it at all. I just want to be clear. This is not... Uh, the same as salvation. It's not a salvation thing. It's a, it's a power and a fire thing. It's equipping for service. It's equipping for living the Christian life. Now, when you became a Christian, you might have had the most overwhelming experience of the Spirit right then. But for some, uh, becoming a Christian is more of a thing where you just decide, and then a little bit later, you experience the Spirit, and then you realize that you've been given a power boost in order to do the things that God has called you to do and you become hungry for more. But it is important to be set on fire by the Spirit. My, in my own story, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. And that was um, an amazing moment. Somebody had a particular word of knowledge and uh, an insight into my life. And I thought, wow, God is speaking to me. And I decided to give my life to Jesus. Uh, but I hadn't really heard uh, of the Holy Spirit and who he did and, and uh, what he did and um, what he wanted to do in my life. And I spent a year trying to follow Jesus but without any power. I had assented to the truth of the gospel and God had come into my life but I needed to be set on fire with the Spirit of God. And thankfully, somebody noticed this and prayed for me. And in that moment, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was overwhelmed. I was soaked and doused and filled with his presence. And uh, it was an experience, and it was 
a reality, and uh, I knew instantly that I was loved by my Heavenly Father, and there, and there was no doubt about that. And we need to know these things. And since that point, uh, nothing has been the same again. It's been really key to me being able to live a Christian life. And many of you will be able to tell very similar stories. And I just think there is no greater need for the church at this time, for our church, but for the church in general, and no greater need for the world as well, that the church, the followers of Christ, are set on fire by the, by the Holy Spirit. We, we need him. We need him. That we're baptized, that we're filled, that we're boosted, that we're soaked, that we're drenched, that we're overcome by his presence. Power from on high so that we will be his witnesses. And the thing is, being, being set on fire, as St. Paul describes it, letting your, letting your spirit be set on fire by the Holy Spirit so you can serve the Lord, does need to be sought after by us. So if we are in a, if we are in a situation of powerlessness or distance from God, or uh, you, you don't really know his love for you, or, uh, or day by day you're not really seeing him at work in your life or through your life, then honestly, it's vital that you seek more of God, that you seek him, that you go after him. Now the good thing is, also as you seek him, you have brothers and sisters in the church who will pray for you. They will partner with you. They will lay a hand on your shoulder and they'll say, Lord, fill this person with more of you. Set this person's heart on fire with love for you. And uh, so being part of the church is crucial. You can seek God on your own, but it's much better and it's much more enjoyable seeking God with your brothers and sisters. So I just think we should give a little bit of time to, to do that for ourselves uh, in a prayer time. So, just to start with, I wonder if we, if we could stand. That'd be all right. And I'm just lead some prayer from the front. Um, maybe Lucy, you just play a little bit as well, so it's not super quiet or whatever. Um, So I just wanted to finish our time in this building with a one-point talk. Be filled with the Spirit. And, you know, if you've been around for a long time, I've said those kinds of things a number of times, and we do need to continue to be filled with the Spirit because it's the key to the Christian life. Um, So let's just take a little time here. Just take a little time for yourself. And I'll lead a prayer or two. And you can appropriate those prayers for yourself. And then after that, we might have sort of break up a bit and come and you can get somebody to lay hands on you and that kind of thing around in this space here in a moment. But let's bring ourselves to the Lord.